came out. But it, it teaches a philosophy here. They were trying to teach Simba uh, this Hakuna Matata uh, philosophy. And, uh, you know, I could say, well, it means um, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king, but no, that's joy to the world, uh, not Hakuna Matata. Um, now, before you think that I've had too much spiked eggnog, let me turn this thing around. Uh, the Swahili phrase made famous in, in The Lion King um, seems to be the way that a lot of people approach joy, especially this time of year. The phrase means no worries. Well, I've got news for you. In this world, we're not ever going to get to the, the point where we have no worries. Now, if you feel like you have no worries... You better ask somebody else to check you, check in on you because uh, clearly you're not seeing things as they really are. Um, so no worries is not uh, the announcement that the angels first proclaimed to the shepherds that first Christmas. The angels proclaimed good news of great joy for all people. And so we get the song and we sang it, uh, Joy to the World, the Lord is Come. Now, as we approach Christmas, we often hear about joy and people talk about what a joyful season that it is. So, so we try to cram all of those other feelings that cause us to experience something other than joy. We tend to cram those down inside. And so if we don't feel joyful, then we try to create joy by tossing our troubles aside, ignoring our deepest struggles, and just living for the moment. But that's not what the joy of Christmas is all about. Now, while it may be nice for a moment to feel that way, it's shallow and short-lived. The gift of joy offered to us in Christ this Christmas is one of deep and abiding joy. It is a joy so powerful that it can hold its own in a dark and hurting world. And in the midst of all of our troubles and struggles, we'll talk a little bit later about how we experience joy uh, through the Christmas season, but for now I encourage you uh, to come in a spirit of honesty. You know, see where you are, admit where you are. Um, you don't have to cast aside your worries in order to unwrap this gift of joy. And so we have another gift today. And that is the gift of joy. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Now, if you've been with us the last two weeks, um, you know that we began on this journey 
uh, through the season of Christmas by unwrapping the gifts of hope and love. The season is marked by expectation, by waiting, anticipation, and longing. In reality, the Christmas season is a season that links the past, present, and future. It offers us the opportunity to share in the ancient longing for the coming of the Messiah, to celebrate his birth, but then especially for us to be alert for his second coming. Now, the first week of our Christmas series, we focused on hope. Uh, We talked about hope past, hope present, and hope future. Uh, As we looked at a few of the prophecies uh, regarding Jesus' coming, we were challenged to place our hope in him amid the trials of life, and we're reminded of the hope still to be fulfilled when he comes again for the second time. Last week with Craig, we focused on love and talked about how we accept, experience, and share uh, the gift of God's love as we discover how wide and long and high and deep his love is for us. But today, the spotlight is on joy. Christmas is an a season to experience joy, uh, the joy of the coming of the Savior into the world. And that's more than just a feeling. Uh, Feelings can pass quickly. It is a joy that causes all creation to celebrate. It's deep and powerful. The kind of rejoicing, okay? And even the word rejoicing, you see joy in the middle of the word. So you can see where the joy comes from. This is talked about in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Psalms. And I want to read Psalm 96, 11 through 13. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. So you see, this passage actually um, talks about both of Jesus' comings. And the last part of this verse uh, has to do specifically with his return. But notice the psalmist uh, gives all of these inanimate objects human characteristics, that all of these Natural elements are going to issue praise uh, to the Lord. Celebrating Christmas, we are preparing and expecting. Uh, Jesus is coming. Let us rejoice. And this is the gift that we're going to consider today. But the question that nags at many of us so often is this. What if you don't feel joy this season? How can you receive the gift of joy even in the midst of suffering? I know some of you are suffering. And loneliness, pain, grief, busyness, stress, or boredom? Well, let let me answer some of those questions. Okay, the first thing that you can do is anticipate joy. Have you ever waited for something so long that you gave up hope that it would ever arrive? (coughs) 
I don't know, maybe you felt like that in school. You know, you started out in kindergarten, you said, wow, there's this plus 12 more years. And then if I go to college, there's four more, or depending upon what I want to pursue, six or eight. And so it may seem out of reach, may seem impossible uh, to reach. So sometimes we give up uh, on, on things that we hoped for. Sometimes we forget that something is on its way. Okay, it's in process. It's not complete. It's not here yet, but on its way. Maybe you've heard stories of postal service mistakes and letters delivered years after they were sent. And Dean Whitaker's not with us in this service, so I'm glad he's in the third service uh, so that Craig can talk about these issues with the post office. And so he won't be disappointed in me. Uh, but, you know, there's some great stories, like one woman in her 80s in France received a letter in the mail that had been sent to her great-grandfather in 1877. Yeah, I didn't say 1977, I said 1877. 138 years earlier, it was about an order of yarn for her great-grandfather's spinning mill. The Washington Post carried an article back in 2015 regarding a letter that reached uh, its intended recipient 14 years later. Now, this is believable. Uh, last year, uh, we receive our paychecks in the mail. Our paychecks never came. They have still never come. So this is, so this is believable. Um, the letter was written from a father in India to his son who was living in New York City at the time. It was handwritten a few short weeks after 9-11. Now you remember how everybody felt around 9-11. We didn't know if it was all over yet. We didn't know if there was anything else coming. We didn't know what to expect. Well, this anxious father in India is writing his son. Well, it was a little bit confusing when it showed up in 2014. The man's father had died several years earlier. As he described in the newspaper essay, the man was flooded with a deep reminder and sense of connection to his late father. Tears flooded his eyes as he held a physical object, this letter created by his father expressing concerns about his son's and grandchildren's safety and about the events of the world in such a tragic time. In the article, the son wrote, 14 years is a long time to rate, wait for a letter, but rarely has one been more welcome. The expression of concern in the letter is sadly still relevant today. You know, the world's still a powder keg that could explode at, at any point. But the physical letter itself was a real joy to the sun. When you receive something not anticipated, it creates unexpected joy. Joy can be that way whether we know it's coming or not. Whether we've given up hope 
for its arrival or not. When we started this series talking about hope, we looked at the history of the people of Israel who had hoped for the coming of the Messiah for thousands of years. That's a tough wait. Certainly, some of the Israelites had given up hope because it had been so long, thinking, well, maybe the Messiah would never come. Some probably just carried on, distracted by the everyday affairs of life, not thinking they would ever see the coming of the Messiah, but others held on to their hope. Their waiting was active. When we engage in an active waiting, anticipating what is to come and watching for it, that waiting has purpose and hope stays alive. If we don't feel joy, we can anticipate the coming of joy to the world in the gift of Jesus. We can uh, prepare to move from our state of discouragement or oblivion into an experience of life-giving joy. Now, the shepherds in the Christmas story, I think, are a good example of this. When the angel showed up and delivered a message to the shepherds on the hillside outside of Bethlehem, the shepherds didn't immediately feel joy. Um, and, and we notice this um, as the angel responds to them, as he speaks to them. And, and I've got to tell you, no matter what the occasion, if an angel was to appear to you and speak to you, your reaction would be the same as the shepherds. Now, you, you might not think that you would be afraid, but you've never experienced anything like this. You, you've never talked with, uh, had an exchange, a verbal exchange uh, with a spiritual being before. No flesh, just all spirit. And so... Here they are, out in the fields with their sheep. They felt scared. And so the angel said to them, this is Luke 2, verses 10 and 11, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. Okay, there's our subject, joy. That will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. So notice the angel, first thing he did, uh, was to address their fear. Then he helped them move beyond it to receive the message of joy that the Savior, the Messiah, the one that Israel, all Israel had been waiting for for thousands of years, had been born. By the end of the night, those shepherds got it. They understood Luke 2, verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Christmas, what we call Christmas, uh, the first coming of Jesus, the Messiah, you know, we can celebrate over and over. My guess is uh, you've probably celebrated it all of your life up until now, at least most of us have, and and we'll be celebrating it yet until Jesus comes back. He returns. But we celebrate it over and over. 
But we know, uh, because of our biblical knowledge and our relationship with God and studying His Word, that there is more to come. Jesus' second coming is yet to take place, which we still anticipate. As the years go by, we still expect that Jesus is coming back again, because he said he would. We can be filled with joy even when we struggle with the realities of today. So first thing you do is you anticipate joy. The next thing you do is to recognize joy. Uh, Have you ever wondered why only the wise men saw the star that led them to Bethlehem? You ever wondered why nobody else saw it? Well, it was in the sky. It was there for everybody to see. But of all the people in the world, only the wise men recognized and followed the star. It was in the sky, so Jews, Gentiles, well, everyone had the opportunity to see it. But not everybody was looking for it. Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of Herod, King Herod, magi, or wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, notice who they're talking to. Notice who they're asking these questions of, and it's Herod. Herod is the king, and they are looking for a new king. Well, Herod was not very secure uh, in his leadership, and um, he acts like, oh, you know, he's really interested, and he wants to go worship this new king and all this, but it's all a front because he wants to put him to death because Jesus would pose a threat to him. Uh, verses 9 through 11 of Matthew 2. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, hang on to that note there for just a moment. On coming to the house, okay, went to a house, it's not like you see in the Christmas pageants, okay? Jesus is born, obviously the average Christmas pageant. Jesus is born, the shepherds come in, and they exit, and then the wise men come in, and then they exit. That's not the way it was. The wise men came uh, much later. Um, Joseph had moved his family uh, from the stable to a house. So they come to an actual house. So I want you to see this. Um, When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Now, from the fact that there were three gifts, people have assumed that there were three wise men. Now, that may or may not be a good assumption. Um, Because it says men, plural, there obviously had to be more than one. So we've got a minimum of two, but... the other end is open. It could have been any number of men traveling together. 
And, and they could have doubled up on the gifts, but there were three different kinds of gifts uh, that were presented to Jesus. That's what, what I want you to see. So only the wise men looking for the star noticed it. And so the Magi traveled a long way to find the one whose birth was announced by the star. I want you to notice, it appears the star disappeared about the time they got to Herod. And uh, I think that was intentional. God led them there because that, that's a significant part uh, of the story. Herod would later uh, kill the babies, uh, baby boys of Bethlehem, uh, thinking that among all the deaths that he would get, the Messiah, the new king, the newborn king. And so the Magi had traveled a long way to discover Jesus. And certainly they encountered hardships along the way. It's not like us. You know, we get on Interstate 81 and we think we encounter hardships when, you know, we have to deal with all these tractor and trailers. And if you're a tractor and trailer driver, I don't mean to uh, berate you or anything, but there aren't very many professional truck drivers anymore. Uh, you know, they're not courteous at all to cars, most of them. And they'll get beside of each other, and they'll ride for miles and let traffic build up, you know, behind them. And uh, so we think we're suffering, you know, when we get in a situation like that. But these guys really would have experienced a lot of hardships. There, there were no good roads uh, like we have today. Uh, they were traveling maybe, as the pictures note, on, on the backs of camels. Um, anyway, certainly a, a normal method of transportation uh, for that time. Um, they, it appears they lost sight of the star, uh, but they knew what they were looking for, and they kept seeking even when they lost track of the star, and, and that's when they stopped um, to check with Herod um, to help them to get back onto track. And uh, we, we recognize from the text that uh, after they left Herod's presence, then they saw the star again, and it led them to the place where Jesus was. It can be hard to recognize joy in our lives sometimes, especially because it doesn't always look the way we expect it to. Um, now, Jesus was born into a, a home of poverty. You wouldn't have expected that. This is a son of God, but this was God's way. God's ways are not always like our ways. Uh, we would have had it done differently. Um, we expect joy uh, to be free of worry and hardship. Um, and so because we have worry and hardship in our lives, we think we cannot experience joy. The Bible tells us that joy is found in the midst of, and in some cases, even because of hard things, hard times. James chapter 1, this is the half-brother of Jesus writing here, beginning with verse 2. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, pure joy, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. 
Well, there most definitely is nothing akuna matata about that brand of joy. You know, no worries. No, there, there are worries. But how much richer and deeper is the experience of joy when it glows bright, illuminating our path in the midst of darkness, a darkness that we're going through? We need to recognize that joy comes from trials. Trials produce perseverance, which makes us into the people God wants us to be. And then we can experience joy even in the midst of hard times. Well, the third thing that we can do is to choose joy. Joy is a gift. Well, the idea that we can choose joy, I think, is maybe a little bit deceiving. Um, We can't just close our eyes and focus really hard and somehow conjure up joy in our lives. In fact, that often leads us away from joy. Joy is a gift. Joy, the Bible says, is a fruit of the Spirit. So we can't just create it by trying harder. But we can choose to live in the ways that God says bring joy. The concept is similar to physical health. Now, you may have noticed, as I have noticed, the older I get, the more parts wear out on my body, just like a car or anything else that we experience here in life. Um, I can't do the things I used to be able to do. And uh, that's, just a, that's just a fact of life. That's just a part of, of growing older. But, but when you have physical health issues, um, we, we can't get stronger by thinking about and mentally choosing to be stronger. We have to exercise and build up those muscles that will make us stronger. All right? This, this applies to uh, joy, in our lives. Now, while we can't just concentrate hard and choose joy, we can choose to give thanks. We can choose to obey. And we can choose to abide. When we do these things, then we open ourselves to the gift of joy. Now, I want to go into detail about these practices. Okay, choose gratitude. That's giving thanks, being thankful. Try it. When, when you give thanks, um, when you don't feel joyful and you give thanks, then things will change. I want you to try this. Um, I want you to, every time that you, know, you find yourself in this situation where you don't have joy, uh, but you, you've got plenty of problems, Name three reasons that you have to be thankful. Now, better yet, let me challenge you to write them down. And chances are you're going to think of a lot more than three. You'll, you'll actually come up with a long list rather quickly. But this whole idea is counterintuitive. When we don't feel joyful, what do we do? We'd rather gripe and complain. Okay, does that make you feel better? 
Never makes me feel better when I gripe and complain. It may be a natural reaction, but it doesn't make me feel better. But giving thanks at that time opens our hearts to joy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 6, here's what Paul says. He said, be joyful always. Okay, now we've already ascertained that we can't just say it and do it. You know, I am now joyful. Try it. It won't work. Okay? But if you give thanks, it makes a difference. It'll move you toward being joyful. Okay, so Paul says, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So the praying continually and the giving thanks is directly connected to being joyful always. Gratitude goes a long way, and it leads us toward joy. When you don't know what to do, when you feel overwhelmed by the season, when you feel anything but joy, give thanks. Start making your list and give thanks. Okay, choose to obey. This is really important because a lot of people go the other direction. Rather than obeying God, they'll, they'll disobey God. Um, that causes a lot of depression too, by the way. Uh, John 15, verse 11 I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Okay, these are the words of Jesus. If you've got a red letter Bible, it'll be in red. This is what Jesus said. So what, what did he tell his disciples? What was the secret here to joy? Well, we've got to back up to verse 10. He said, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Okay, there's a direct connection between obedience and maintaining a relationship or remaining in Jesus' love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. Now notice, obedience is the secret. You know, if, if, if you're feeling down in the dumps, look at this issue. Are, is your life in harmony with God? You know, we often want joy to to appear from out of nowhere, but Jesus said it comes from obedience. Like gratitude, obedience is a practice. It's a process of seeking to follow God's ways and to put them into action. Now, we don't always get them right, um, but the more we align ourselves with God's word to understand his ways and choose actions that align with his word, and his wisdom, then the more we, are op we open ourselves up to experience the good fruit of those choices. And the more we prepare ourselves to encounter and receive his joy by doing that. Okay, next, choose to abide. John chapter 15, Jesus tells us the second part of the secret of joy. And so this whole thing is really like a love triangle. Uh, Jesus said that just as he remains in his Father's love, we remain in his love, and our joy is complete. 
Now, this is not an immediate, uh, quick satisfaction concept. It's the idea of continual love and relationship with Jesus that brings joy into our lives. Uh, Jesus used the metaphor of a vine in John in this John 15 passage because he was describing a process of ongoing growth and nourishment that produces good fruit. The same is true of our relationship with Jesus. Uh, and our joy is made complete by imitating uh, Jesus' love and obedience. And so let this Christmas season be a time of gratitude, a time of obedience, and a time of abiding in the love of Jesus. Now, if you do that, then your life will be filled with joy. The joy that he intended to bring us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in this Christmas season we can receive and unwrap the gift of joy. But Father, help us to anticipate, to recognize and choose joy as we give thanks, as we obey, and as we abide in you. Lead us into joy as you lead us into deeper, a deeper relationship with you. Father, give us the courage and strength to rejoice no matter what circumstances we face and make our joy complete in you. We pray in Jesus' name. I want to leave you with one thought. It's a verse of scripture, actually. Paul wrote this passage, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now remember, joy is in the middle of the word rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Allow God's word to speak to you today. And take, don't worry about what I say, but take what God's word says seriously and apply it to your life. Uh, this is a decision time. We're going to stand and sing a song of, of commitment and decision. And if you have a decision to make, if you need prayer, um, please come forward. We'll be glad to pray with you. Um, if, if you are looking at, at becoming a Christian, being baptized into Christ, uh, see Craig at the end of the service back at the link, or uh, you've already been baptized, you want to be, become a member of the church here, then uh, see him as you go out. Let's stand.